I'm thinking of my classes, maybe I thought a bit that it's about time to say something new, something different. And yet, when you're at a place like this, what is that? So the message I share, especially those of you in my classes this morning, actually probably encapsulates almost completely what my burden is in the class of Assurance of Salvation to a large degree, and also in the class of Youth Preparing for Life. I hope you've been enjoying your time here in this, this here Ozark country. And you know, while we found out yesterday that the hills are a bit difficult to traverse in a fuel-starved bus, I'm still glad we have hills in the Ozarks. I don't know about the rest of you. Not to disparage anybody else's part of the world, but to me, the hills add character and they add beauty to this part of the country. And not only that, there's many times as I drive these hills that they speak to me of life and some of the challenges of life. You know, I'm a rather human human. In fact, sometimes I'd like to think I'm more human than some other humans, in that I would like to stand up here and preach something exciting, something interesting, something that you want to hear. And yet the message that God gave me to share this morning is one that at times I run away from. It's sometimes one I struggle with. Going back to the Ozark country, a bit south of us, where we are currently, I'm going to say a semi-famous book. It seems a lot of people I meet know about this book, and there's a show in this area now based on this book, giving the story of a trail and the choices made by some people walking this trail. Like Uncle Ike of that story said, back to the hills, a body, a body would get plumb tuckered out with nary downhill stretch every now and again. You know, I find in my Christian life, I like those downhill stretches pretty good. Now those uphill stretches, not so much. I'd rather let those for somebody else. And yet I'm going to talk to you of what is very much an uphill stretch currently in my life. I'd like to tell you a few stories today. Are you all okay with stories? Okay, I figured most of you had enough doctrine and preaching, alas, you probably thought for a while. So I'm going to bring in, of course, want to be focused on Scripture, but I'm going to tell you some stories. The one story you know very well indeed. In fact, I would suggest you know this one story so well that you possibly do not value it. So with God's help... I would like to make it alive for you this morning. The other two stories I'm guessing very few, if any, in this group know about. In some other place, at some other time, there was a trail through the hills of life among the Ozarks of what I'm going to say the human experience. In this story, adjoining farms were connected by a path that connected the farms and also the, the farms to the broader world. On these adjoining farms, each family received a gift. The one received the gift of a son. The other received the gift of a daughter. Most Sundays, the path was shared by both families as they traveled to church, to the church they both attended. 
As time progressed and the son of one and the daughter of the other grew into childhood, the path between often bore the feet of one or the other running an errand for their parents or seeking a playmate for the time. This soon turned into the feet of both taking the path to the country school. Later still again, it bore them both as they attended church and community youth doings, as we call them in the South here. For the first 18 to 19 years, the son of one and the daughter of the other saw themselves as nearly like brother and sister as was possible to be without being so. Yet one day as they walked this path, the son of one became aware that the daughter of the other possibly held some fascination beyond that of sister. And he began to wonder if perhaps he could be more than a brother. With careful consideration, he was able to win the heart of this young lady, and they began to anticipate a shared future. Plans were made. Wedding bells seemed to be in the imminent future. All seemed idyllic. All seemed settled. All seemed in joyful anticipation. Around the time that these plans were first made, A newcomer showed up, a city, society, cultured young man entered the community on a visit to one of his relatives in the region. Unbeknownst to the young man anticipating his marriage, this newcomer also took a shine to his bride-to-be. When this newcomer discovered that this young lady was engaged to what he considered to be a country bumpkin, he took it upon himself to dissuade her from that step and also possibly with the motive to entice her to a far different path. Finding her traveling the path alone one day, he used all his charm, all his worldly wisdom to impress and dazzle her. Sadly, his efforts succeeded. She listened to his flattering words, to his fascinating descriptions of a life beyond what she knew. She consented to meet again. She quickly went from the glow of a bride-to-be to to the wilt of a young lady in doubt about her future. She confessed her fascination of the life described by her tempter, her doubts of her current plans, to her fiancé. She shared that she longed to experience the bigger, brighter, more dazzling world to be discovered and explored that had been described to her. Her promised one listened as she expressed her doubts of love for him, her desire for something greater than being a farm wife. He was as red-blooded a young man as any, and oh, how he struggled. Anger, rage at the tempter, frustration at his limited circumstances, the acute pain of rejected love. As a Christian, he cried out to God in his grief, in his agony of heart, and yet the heavens were silent. As his hopes, as his dreams, as his aspirations crumbled in dust and ashes around him, how could this happen? How could this be? Where was God? Why did he care? Why didn't he step in? After an intense battle with himself, Being a wise young man, he released his promise from her promise. He asked her forgiveness if he had in any way used his position of confidence and trust to pressure her into the decision. And he freely gave her 
the option to walk out of his life, which she did. Now, she didn't go to the life of glamour she anticipated. But she went to a life of shame, to a life of being a plaything for the moment, a life of being discarded when the moment of newness passed. And there we could leave them both with promises broken, dreams shattered, what could have been forever lost, and yet the story was not complete. Some years after, most of this had transpired. The young lady's tempter had cast her aside, forgotten and uncared for, allowing her to bear her shame alone, and he again entered into the form of fiancé's life. One morning, this young farmer, still living at home with mom and dad, doing what he had to do, got up early to take a load of grain into the local, their small town there. And as he entered the small town, he noticed a lot of excitement on the far end of town. He also saw smoke. He saw some fire. As he went down there, he noticed the, there's a three-story hotel in town that was on fire. And so he, being, like I said, a very normal young man, gathered with the rest. And thankfully, it seemed like every, all the guests, all the employees had gotten out of this small hotel. And they watched the lower floors burning. But unbeknownst to them, there was still one person in this burning building on the upper floor. Now, the fire was progressing rapidly. There wasn't much anyone could do. And uh, they were expecting this building to fall in on itself. About that time, an upper story window opened, and somebody began yelling for help. Help me, rescue me. They saw the dim figure of a man in the smoke-shrouded window. And the town was not really equipped for such an emergency. So some men ran for the longest ladder that they knew of in town. They did make it back in time. They did stretch it out, but it was about six to eight feet short of the window. There was, the way the building was constructed, there was no way to, for the man to reach from the window to the ground, or to the ladder. Hopeless, nothing more they could do, or so they thought. As our young farmer stood there looking at the eight feet separating a man from safety, he made a decision to make a human extension to the top of the ladder in hopes that they could save a life. So they again stretched out this ladder, leaned it up against the wall, and uh, he offered himself to climb up. And as he took one last look to just look over what make his plan, Try to grab the ledge of the windows, he reached the top of the ladder. He looked up, and lo and behold, he recognized the face in the window. It was the face of the young man who had stolen his bride. The one who had used the one he loved only to cast her away. 
he hesitated. Those nearest him heard something to the effect of not him, surely not him. Wasn't, it, wasn't this divine judgment? Why interfere? Surely he, of all people, should not need to risk his life for this person of all people. And yet, and yet, without further delay, he began to climb. He had nearly reached the window, was making an effort to cash the sill when the lower floor collapsed. This in turn caused the whole building to crumble in on itself. Two young men fell to their deaths that day in that crumbling, burning building. Two lives were lost that day. Two choices brought to fruition that day. Two physical deaths from the same cause. Yet how different. Yet how different they were. The one had given all to self. The other one had given all, including himself. The one lost it all that day. The other won all that was worth having that day. He followed the path of his Lord. He found rest where it really mattered. He gave as it had been given to him. He knew and he gave sacrificial love. And that's what I'd like to talk to you of this morning, my friends, is sacrificial love. I made a bit of a combination of Luke, chapter seven, uh, Luke 17, verse 33, and John 12, verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall keep it unto life eternal. May I paraphrase for that? If you, if I go about seeking enjoyment and fulfillment where mankind thinks it is found, my life, your life will be a waste. But if you seek God, if I seek God and his will and his plan for me, voluntarily laying down my plans, my aspirations, I will have found true life and that which will last throughout eternity. Forward your story clocks to the year 2018. A year most of you, I can at least remember some things, not in the very far distant past. I'd like to introduce you to a young man about 26 years of age by the name of John Alan Chu. I don't know a lot about John Allen Chu, but the Lord gave him a burden to reach an unreached tribe on the North Sentinel Island off the coast of India. John repeatedly tried to contact these tribes people, and one day he finally managed to reach the island the day before his death. He offered gifts to the islanders and tried to speak to them, and these people are famous. In fact, uh, a few years ago, they were famous for their viciousness, even like shooting arrows at helicopters flying overhead and such things. So as John finally reached the island, finally saw some people off there in the bush, the woods, he 
hollered out, and I don't know if he thought he knew a language they would know. This is simply his writing. He, his diary and some letters written to home, he hollered, my name is John. I love you, and I want you to know Jesus. He says this in his diary. I regret I began to panic slightly as I saw them string arrows onto their bows. I picked up one of the gifts I had brought and threw it towards them, yet they kept coming. He had uh, got to the island in a small kayak, so he ran back, he got back into the kayak and he says this, he said, I paddled like I have never paddled in my life before. I felt some fear, but mainly disappointment that they didn't accept me and my mission right away. One of the tribe's people fired an arrow that struck my Bible. John, that night, in his diary, his prayer, wrote something to the effect of, God, it looks like I might lose my life in this endeavor, and I really think I would be more useful alive. Do you really need me to go back? And he went on to say, I think you have given me a job to do, and I want to carry it out. The next day, as he prepared to make another approach, he wrote a letter to his parents that he left where, uh, with the people he had been with. And it says this, directly reading from that letter, you might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to do. I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. He goes on, this is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of these tribes of the tribe are at hand. I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping him. And he ended his letter. The last, the last words he wrote in this life is glory to God alone. Glory to God alone. Later that day, some fishermen off the coast of this island saw the tribesmen burying a body in the sand. A life wasted? A life given in sacrificial love? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, that we could all understand and experience the transformation of Christ. As Christians, we're not different to be different but we're different because we're different. A true great Christian has different goals, a different purpose, a different focus, a different inspiration. My dear young people, I'm very afraid some of us who are a bit older have not done a very good job of giving you a fair representation of the Christian life. Serving Christ is not something you do for fun and games, for the good times it brings into your life. 
Serving Christ is not for the faint of heart, for those lacking in courage, lacking in determination. Serving God in the truest sense is choosing to invest my sweat, to shed my tears, pour out my life, and possibly even sacrifice it all with one thought to sustain me. He loves me. He loves me. I do not want you to focus on the struggles of the path, but to consider the inspiration, the peace, the joy of those who walk this difficult way. Perhaps most of you have not walked a distance on this path, but worry not. The future will hold ongoing opportunities for you. It is very possible your walk on this path, if you make this choice of sacrificial love, may not have as dramatic an ending as those stories I shared. Yet your battle, trust me, will be no less real. God doesn't have room for any wimps in his kingdom. It's going to take all you got and then a little bit more of his help. On this path, shy people are sometimes in the foreground. Vivacious people at times in the background. On this path, the ones walking it have given their all, and then they give just a little bit more. Those walking this path are misunderstood. Those walking this path are often neglected. Those walking this path are often pushed aside. Those walking this path are seemingly forgotten and ignored. Not just by the I don't care mob of humanity, but by even their closest friends and those in whom they have invested their lives. Those who walk this path experience sleepless nights, flowing tears and tearing heartache, and don't ask me how I know. Those who walk this path face almost endless battles, not only from the forces without, but discouragement and doubt within. Those who walk this path know anguish and indescribable pain. Those who walk this path know feelings of despair, moments of wondering, can I go on? Those who walk this path have chosen surrender complete in the face of terrible conflict. Those who walk this path have a joy, yet it is a joy that shines through sorrow. Those who walk this path know trust, albeit a trust learned through experiencing a roaring tempest. Those who walk this path know security, yet it's a security that comes from having all fail and fall in dust and ashes around you and having nothing left but God and God alone. Those who walk this path know peace, but it is a peace hard found in chaos and confusion. Those who walk this path know inspiration, and yet it is the inspiration of the cross. Those who walk this path understand life, and yet that life is found in death. Those who walk this path would show you sacrificial love. Romans 12, 15, the first part of verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself.
for even Christ pleased not himself. You know, as North American Christians, I'm talking on a broad scale, but I would include myself, we have almost lost what it means to live without pleasing ourselves. So much of our life, so much of our culture, so much of what I do finally zeroes in on what I want and what life is about for me. And friends, that's a mistake. If even Christ pleased not himself, is there any room for Joe to do that? Okay, for the last story, I would tell you of a father, and I'd tell you of a son. I would tell you of a relationship most beautiful, most complete. I would tell you of a desire that this father and this son had to share, to share that love, to share that relationship, to share the joy of communication, of working together. In this decision, they gave of themselves. They had a desire for others to join them in that joy, in that love, in that fellowship. And so they gave of themselves. For this reason, they created mankind. For this purpose, you, specifically you and I, exist today. For us to fill the rule that the Father and the Son envisioned, we, mankind, had to be given the opportunity the responsibility of voluntarily choosing them over the other things that could distract or take away. You know, after creation, mankind was placed in the most amazing of places, the Garden of Eden. I would suggest to you that there's never any place that compares to the Garden of Eden, except possibly the new heaven and the new earth. Well, I should say possibly for sure. But think of the Garden of Eden as a paradise on earth. In this garden was placed all they needed for sustaining and for enjoying life. Nothing was missing. In this garden of many trees was placed one tree with a special purpose. It was the tree that gave them choice. The choice to obey or the choice to disobey. And you know, when I was young and foolish, I sort of thought, you know, God, why didn't you just skip that tree? How much easier? But you know, without that, it'd just be no good. That tree had to be there. It had to be. It was not an optional tree. In this garden, their creator walked with them. In this garden, they found the pleasure of pleasing him. In this garden, all was wonderful and all was bright until... Until one day, the tempter showed up. Until one day, the creator, uh, excuse me, the creation listened to the tempter. One day, this tempter succeeded in getting the created to focus on the power of choice rather than on the one who gave the gift of choice. The created, in the form of the woman, Succumb to desire for the fruit, desire to be greater, more like God pride. And she took and she did eat. She gave also unto her husband and he did eat with her. The man chose woman over his creator. 
This brought a cycle of choice, sinful choices. This brought pain. This brought death. This brought destruction. Like such choices always do. We have God beginning a work with mankind. Various degrees and stages of law were tried to help mankind see his problem. To see his, to see her need of God. Yet, while the law was good, it tells us in Romans 7, it generally had the effect of actually putting in focus the very things that man shouldn't be doing, with the end result that man actually did worse and worse, for the most part. Was there no hope? Was there no way? Was there no solution? You know, I believe one of the reasons the Old Testament was given to us is so that we could see the effect of law. Yet, how many of us haven't tried to live according to law? And you know, when you live according to law, you do end up feeling there's no hope, there's no way, there's no solution. But praise God, that's false. There was hope. There was a solution. There was a way. But that way was the Son of God. This, the one, who with his father had created mankind. This, the one, who with his father had desired the joy of fellowship with a being of free choice. <coughs> Excuse me. This, the one, who with his father knew the sacrifice that was needed. This, the one, who with his father was committed to that sacrifice, even in the terrific cost it included for him. Just think about what he knew and when he knew it. He knew that this would include his coming to earth as an infant, as a human being, yet at a time and in such a way that it would raise questions and stigma for him and his parents the rest of their lives. He knew that. He knew he'd be born into a world so little looking for him, so little caring that he came, that his mother would have to bear him in a stable. I can't quite imagine that. A barn. He knew those around him, even those to whom he had been given as a child and as a friend, would misunderstand who he was, would not comprehend why he was here. He knew that those most expecting him and excited at his coming would be strangers from far away or the very poor of the land. He knew that hundreds of innocent babies would be killed by a desperate ruler in an effort to end his life before it began. He knew his poor parents would flee to Egypt, living there in poverty and exclusion. He knew of the years of hard work in a carpenter's shop. <clears throat> he knew he would be despised as a low-class laborer, a nobody. He knew he would be misunderstood and doubted by even his own mother and siblings. He knew he would be envied and mocked, tormented by those who claimed to be teachers and protectors of the truth. He knew that multitudes would follow him for physical blessings, yet few to none would seek him for spiritual blessings. He knew he would be sought as a king and yet despised as a friend. He knew that even his closest friends would hide their faces from him and deny and desert him in his hour of need. <coughs> he knew how kneeling in the garden, all alone, 
he would plead with his father, if it be possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew he would be condemned to death as the worst of the world, a criminal among men. He knew he would be beaten till he could barely walk. He knew he would be mocked and ridiculed by evil men while he suffered for them. He knew that nails would be pounded into his hands and his feet. He knew that the cross would then be dropped into the ground, tearing those wounds. He knew he would writhe in agony and pain that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. He knew the scorn, the mocking of those who thought he was their enemy, when in reality, no one loved them more. He knew how, suspended from the cross, his father having to put some distance between him and his son for this step to occur, Removed from his father's embrace, he would cry out in fearful suffering, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? <clears throat> Friends, this morning, can you hear the heart-rending pain of a child uttering such a cry? Can you imagine the searing agony for a father to hear his son crying, and yet to be unable to answer because of the plan that they had in place. He knew death would result. He knew how on the cross he would give one final cry, it is finished, and the grave awaited him. He knew the gloating of the powers of darkness as they would rejoice at, over what they thought was his certain defeat. He knew this. He knew a lot more than this. He knew about sleepless nights. He knew about fasting for days. He knew about days without friends. He knew about praying all alone and just wishing somebody cared. He knew about continued, continual temptation. He knew about the temptation to try to find an easier way, a different path. He knew, and yet he became my sacrifice so that I could see and know and understand love. He came to give me a chance. He came to show me how to live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Sacrificial love is to invest without being guaranteed a return of investment. Sacrificial love is to love knowing most will spurn me. Sacrificial love is to pour out my heart knowing many will not see my desire. Sacrificial love is to care. Finding myself accused of not understanding. Sacrificial love is to give of myself endlessly without asking who is giving for me. Sacrificial love is to lay down my life knowing many will be unappreciative and possibly even despise my sacrifice. Sacrificial love is death to self. Sacrificial love is to live for another. <laughs> Very briefly, I'm going to tell you where Joe struggles the most. You know, it is so hard for me to just give and give and give and then give some more. I get so tired. I get so discouraged. 
I like results. I like appreciation. I like recognition. I like for things to happen. Dear friends, this morning, God didn't ask me for those things. He just simply said, Joe, it's your job to fill the things I bring into your life. Think not of giving. Focus, focus not on the sacrifice. Give, for he has given his all for me. Sacrifice, for he has been the sacrifice for me. May Christ be my example. May he be my inspiration. After all, remember, he loves me. May I encourage you to walk this path? Not because it's easy, but because it's right. Would you purpose with me to live and love sacrificially in all of life? When was the last time you wept as you thanked God for sending his son for you? When was the last time you asked God to be your inspiration to live sacrificially? So here's the first part of my assignment. Open the song books to song number 312. Song number 312. I gave my life for thee. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? I'd like to sing this song, and I'd like to do something a little different. I just told you that this is a very real battle in my life. And I would just publicly like to ask you all to pray for me. And I would like to commit myself to try to just live more sacrificially in all that God has for me. I don't know what's happening in your life. Some of you I may know a bit, others none at all. But I would like to invite you to stand with me if there's something in your life that God is laying his finger on that you know you need to sacrifice to love sacrificially, and yet it's hindering you. By a standing, I'm not, you're not necessarily making any public thing. You're not meeting with anyone. You're just simply saying there's something in my life I'd like to give to God in this way.